Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Casual Criminalist. This is one of the shorter episodes that we do. We obviously do the longer, full explorations of a topic. And then we have the Casual Criminalist Shorts, where I, your host, Simon, found something on the internet. I was like, that sounds interesting, but it wasn't long enough for a full explanation. So we have like a 10 to 15 minute exploration. This one is all about Abraham Shakespeare, who was a doo-doo on the lottery and then turned out to be like the unluckiest man alive. So let's just dive in. Callum wrote this one. Thank you, Callum. Let's do it. A wise man once said that America looks at Florida the same way the rest of the world looks at America, with a mix of horror and fascination. I've done plenty of videos on uh, on a YouTube channel I do called uh, Top Tens, and uh, we do a whole series of Florida Man videos where there's 10 things that Florida Man got up to recently. People love that, and it's absurd. Whenever you hear a particularly weird or wonderful crime story, there's a solid chance it took place somewhere in the Sunshine State. Such is the case with the story of Abraham Shakespeare. Ah, so Abraham is himself a Florida man, uh, whose untimely demise was proof that getting rich isn't always everything is cut out to be. Yeah, also, he, (laughs) Callum writes, Abraham Shakespeare, no relation. It's like, we knew. We definitely knew. Moving on. The beginning of the story is every working person's dream. In the bizarrely named town of Frostproof on November the 15th, 2006, Mr. Shakespeare and his workmate, Michael Ford, stopped off for a rest before heading onwards to Miami. Shakespeare asked Mr. Ford to grab him a couple of lottery tickets from a convenience store, one of which ended up winning him the statewide jackpot of $30 million, which I don't know, in the UK where I, where I grow, grew up, the, the lottery is like, if it's 30 million pounds, that's how much you get, 30 million pounds. But I feel like in America, it's like you get 30 million dollars and it's like, okay, yeah, but you, can, you can't have that unless you want it evenly dispersed over your whole life. So you can take like a settlement. Instead of 30 million, you get, I don't know, 20 or whatever. And then it's like also unlike in the UK, I believe it's taxed. So then what? You, they must take away half, right? It's a lot of money. So you're left with 10 million after winning 30. It's a little bit depressing. Whereas in the UK, lottery winnings... God knows why, are not taxed when they absolutely should be taxed massively. Anyway, just my opinion. Let's move on. It's amount, it amounted to just around $17 million after tax. Okay, so that's not too bad. Uh, and I guess he took the lump sum as well. Maybe there wasn't a punishment for that. Anyway, moving on. But Abraham wasn't complaining. Up until that point in his life, he had been working as a laborer and barely making ends meet. But now, at 40 years old, he was set up for a retirement beyond his wildest dreams. That was, of course, after he dealt with the question of organizing and distributing his newfound pile of wealth among his loved ones. Obviously, his, I, would, I don't think I'll tell anyone if I won the lottery. I definitely keep it quiet. Also, I definitely wouldn't want to win the lottery because then any success you ever have in life after that can just be ascribed to your lottery win. It'd be like, oh yeah, Simon just has a podcast that does okay. You know, he had a lot of money to put into it because he won the lottery. Simon just has successful YouTube channels because, you know, he bought ads because he won the lottery. Nothing you ever do is going to be, you know, truly down to your success. It's always going to be ascribed to your lottery win. Anyway. Obviously, his close family, kids, and best friends were in for a happy holiday season, but soon everyone he had ever met was gunning for a slice. That's the thing, when everyone hears you won $30 million, suddenly every little favor that they've ever done for you is a hefty price tag attached. Even total strangers, who had seen pictures of the lucky winner in the paper, started harassing him for a cut of the winnings. And things would only go downhill from there. The first major blow to Abraham's peace of mind was the underhanded maneuvers of Ford, who demanded that the act of walking into the store and buying the tickets warranted 
wanted a $1 million share of the winnings. I mean, his part in the whole thing was about five minutes of work. Of work. So at the US minimum wage of $7.25 an hour, I put his actual dues at closer to 60 cents. Or nothing, because he was doing a favor for his friend, and if he doesn't want to give him anything, he doesn't have to give him anything. Abraham likewise scoffed at the $1 million demand, which caused Ford to launch a lawsuit claiming that the lottery tickets were actually his. Oh, so it kind of sounds like he wasn't asking. It was. It, it more sounds like he was attempting to extort Mr. Shakespeare for a million dollars, saying like, I will sue you because I bought them unless you give me a million dollars. And he didn't, so he did. So he alleged that he Abraham stole them. That is underhanded. The story was obviously nonsense, and the $17 million could buy some damn good lawyers to prove it. So the case was thrown out as fast as it would, was dreamed up, with just one hour of jury deliberation. That's another uniquely American thing. They have a jury. You have a jury for civil suits, which is strange to me. It must For something like that, it's like you've got 12 people sitting there. It's like... No wonder if so many people have to do jury duty. But the lasting damage on Shakespeare's faith in humanity was severe, only compounded by the constant hounding and guilt-tripping that he had to deal with daily. To catch a breather from the cold callers, he had moved into a gated community. With all that drama to deal with, he didn't have too much time to enjoy his winnings. So his new house, a car, and a second-hand Rolex watch were his only big purchases in the first few months. But that had dramatically changed by the late time late 2008 rolled around. By this time, there was only around $1.3 million left in his bank account, and Abraham was in desperate need of some solid advice on what to do next. Dude, you should have definitely got some more solid advice before you spent $15.7 million because that's extraordinary. Enter Doris Moore, Dee Dee to her friends. She contacted Shakespeare in 2008, saying that she wanted to write a book about his unlikely story. His unlikely story? It's like people win the lottery all the time and then spend it all. <laughs> when they met, she offered to be his financial advisor and to help him set, get set up with a firm with which to manage the remaining money. This was the unimaginatively titled Abraham Shakespeare LLC, of which Devious Dee Dee was the chief financial officer. Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. No, mate, this was not a good decision. Why do I call her devious? Well, in case you hadn't already guessed, her motives weren't exactly pure. Shakespeare had trusted Dee Dee because she explicitly explained she wasn't trying to get at his money like all those other randoms ringing his phone, but in reality, she was just much better at hiding it than they were. This was a woman who, unbeknownst to Abraham, had been convicted of fraud in 2001 for faking a rape and kidnapping to claim the insurance money on her car, a seasoned liar. Wait. That seems awfully elaborate to get the insurance money on a car. It better have been something awesome. So instead of making up some lame story about her sick aunt's medical bills, she had truly conned her way into Shakespeare's inner circle and gained full control of his rapidly dwindling funds. Within seven months of meeting her mark, she had run up a bill of around a million dollars in personal spending, mostly on cars and vacations. On top of that, she had transferred almost all of his property to her own company, leaving him very nearly broke. Surely he can sue her and get the money back, because this is just a blatant case. Although... You know, you can't get money back for a vacation you went on, but wow, this is mega corrupt of her. We now find ourselves well into 2009, fast approaching the third anniversary. Wait, I mean, this is crime, but this has got to turn nasty because this is the casual criminalist. You know, we're not interested in financial crimes here. We want to see some, some worse stuff, <laughs> some murders. Come on, Callum, when's it coming? We now find ourselves well into 2009, fast approaching the third anniversary of Shakespeare's big win. It's hardly a cause for celebration, though. In fact, he still feels that getting rich has ruined so much of his life, and it's left him feeling exploited and used. I really would like my old life back where I could walk the streets like a normal person. So he's had enough. He takes off to Jamaica to escape it all and enjoy his remaining wealth with the added bonus of anonymity. Or was it Texas or Puerto Rico? 
But nobody knows for sure because Dee Dee couldn't quite get her story straight on where her friend and benefactor had disappeared to. I'm guessing he disappeared to the bottom of a pond or something. Or, you know, she dissolved him in acid. On November the 9th, his cousin decided to form... And also, how can she be... She was so clever with this, you know, sneaking in and getting his money or reasonably. I, I don't want to give her too much credit. It's quite a simple con. But, uh, and then she couldn't remember where he disappeared off to in her story. Come on, Dee Dee. Get it together. On November the 9th, his cousin st- decided to formally file a missing persons report on the account that they hadn't actually seen him in person since April. Sure, they had spoken to him by text and even received birthday cards from him. But something was off. The text, for example. Shakespeare was suddenly writing a lot more eloquently than he ever had before. Strange for a guy with a very limited education. And when they asked certain questions, ones which relied on personal information only Abraham would know, the messages would simply go unanswered. It was almost as if they were speaking to an entirely different person. Yeah, they definitely were. I mean, (laughs) Dee Dee, you seem to have gone from, like, reasonable con women to absolutely terrible con women. So it's little wonder why Abraham's family were worried. And that wasn't the only clue. In the months after he was officially declared missing, Abraham's mother received handwritten letters from him, despite the fact that he couldn't write, as well as phone calls from someone claiming to be him, despite having a different voice. How dumb do you think people are, Dee Dee? <laughs> Naturally, their suspicions fell upon the woman who would have benefited most from Abraham's timely disappearance. As suspicions started to be heaped upon Dee Dee, she started making some pretty strange offers to various people involved. For example, she tried to pay $200,000 to one of Abraham's ex-partners and mother to one of his kids to tell investigators that she had seen him recently. Likewise, the birthday card to his mother had been sent because she paid family members $5,000 to say Abraham passed it along. If all of this wasn't incriminating enough, oh boy, it is, (laughs) what came next would push the whole thing beyond any doubt. Uh, honestly, I was already there. In late December, the detectives working on the missing persons case eventually found their way to the doorstep of a man named Gregory Smith. He was a so-called friend of Shakespeare. And it turns out he was the impersonator, apparently a bad one because he sounded completely different, who had been making calls to dupe his worried mother. Rather than wade deeper into the deception, Smith agreed to side with the police. Not long after that, he received a call from Dee Dee offering $50,000 if he would take responsibility for what she had done. He agreed and asked where Abraham really was now. With that information in hand, the investigators went to a home recently bought by Dee Dee. They removed a heavy concrete slab in the garden and started digging. What they found was, of course, the remains of Abraham Shakespeare. Analysis revealed that he died way back at the start of April 2009, not long after the last time he saw his loved ones. Dee Dee Moore's account of how he ended up there followed her usual scatterbrain pattern of making up half a dozen stories and choosing them all one after the other. Dee Dee, come on. You can be a better criminal than this. These included blaming her teenage son. Wow, dick move. Blaming some imaginary drug dealers and eventually blaming Abraham by saying that she killed him in self-defense. In reality, she had shot him through the chest with a 38 caliber revolver in cold blood and attempted to cover her trail by keeping his digital ghost alive and offering cash rewards for anyone willing to help maintain the lie. That just sounds, I feel like when you're offering cash rewards to help people maintain the lie, you're just bringing in more people who are eventually going to screw you over. When d- You're a shit criminal, DD. And we can address the amount that she offered before going any further. $50,000 is a bit stingy for someone looking at a guaranteed life sentence, indeed. And that's exactly what she ended up getting. She was picked up by police on February the 2nd, 2010, and held with a bail set at a million dollars. Around 18 months later, she was handed life without parole, plus a 25-year cherry on top for using a gun in the act. It's like, yeah, life without parole, you're never leaving prison. 
and then after you die, you've got 25 more years. It doesn't make sense, but I guess it sends a message. That sounds like justice served to me. A tidy resolution to a tragic story. It's difficult to find any sympathy for someone so predatory as Dee Dee Moore, someone who took advantage of Abraham's need to find someone, anyone who he could trust. Winning the lottery had shown him the worst parts of human nature and made it nigh on impossible to tell friends from parasites. Getting rich hadn't brought happiness. It had only brought pain and tragedy. The final kick in the teeth was that by the time the killer shot him down, Abraham only had around $14,000 left. So the moral of the story is, don't get rich. Seriously. If any of you come into an unexpected lump of cash, I'll take it off your hands. I wouldn't want to see you go through all of that. I take PayPal. Well, Callum, I'll bear that in mind if I ever play the lottery and, and win, which I won't. Because uh, my, my opinion on the lottery is one you know, this happens. And as I mentioned, any credit for anything you ever do later in your life is now taken away because you won the lottery. And also, you're not going to win. You know, we have this, uh, what's it called? It used to be called the National Lottery. I think it's just called Lotto now. And it's uh, I, their, their slogan growing up when I was growing up used to be, you know, someone has to win it or someone like something like that. And it's just like, statistically, it's not going to be you. It's just a tax on the poor because statistically, poor people play the lottery a lot more. Like there's not many rich people playing the lottery. Anyway, oh, don't even get me started on scratch cards. Those are even worse. I used to work in a shop that sold scratch cards. No, no one came in wearing a shirt, uh, you know, and bought scratch cards. It was always poor people and it, they were just always getting ripped off by scratch cards. One kid won a thousand pounds on a scratch card and he proceeded to spend that entire thousand pounds on more scratch cards until he had lost everything because just fuck scratch cards really uh thank you for watching everybody this was the casual criminalist followed by a little bit of a rant i've been simon your host that script was written by callum this has been a shorter episode than we normally do on the casual criminalist do tune in for our longer proper features but in the meantime we have some of these shorter episodes and thank you for watching or listening if you listen as a podcast Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.